have one new message four saved messages main menu to listen to your messages press one first skipped voice message sent tuesday june 14th at 3:27 p.m yo giles how you doing brother just listen to your last podcast and all good things but listen nobody wants to hear about three thousand dollar money suits what we do want to hear more about is dating in San Francisco with a crazy amount of rich people, eating good food, and maybe even some good wines that might come out of there. But also, I want to talk to you about a whole bunch of stuff because Sarah and I and our son are spending the summer in Montreal. So give me a call back. You know the number. And uh, thanks for keeping up the content. We will uh, talk to you soon, Frank. Cheers. Come one, come all to the Landline Podcast. Gather around for a hour of fun with Giles and I drinking Aperol Spritz on a hot summer day. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. Check out other episodes at soundcloud.com slash landlinepodcast on iTunes, on talkforaliving.com. You can be like Giles and call the landline 617-744-1895. Leave a message. Get on the internet. It could be your first time on the internet. For any new listeners out there, check out other episodes about movies, about flowers, about drugs, about traveling, about your family, about screwing up with friends. It's all there. Landline podcast. Music by Pitchfork Revolution. Check out other episodes coming up this week. Enjoy the show, guys. Landline. Hello. What's up, Giles? Well, you know, living the dream. Fucking like 85 degrees in Montreal. Just went to the public water park with my son and my wife. And uh, walked down St. Laurent for the mural festival. And just, uh, you know, took in a bunch of culture. Worked on my uh, hashtag tank tea game strong. Got a new Quebecois tank tea. And uh, yeah, life is good, man. That, I only know what half that stuff means, which is perfect. We'll talk about it. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you because I'm having the most European day, and now it's going to be accented with our activity for cocktail hour with you, Giles, the bartender. I had a lazy hang in the bed this morning, if you know what I mean, followed by some delicious yeah. French press coffee, some... Ooh. Pancakes with strawberries and a rhubarb compote. Um, that sounds an, fantastic. An extended sit in the grass, followed by a walk on some conservation land with the dogs and my wife, who I haven't seen in ten days. And then I made Wait, a did you say dogs. Dogs, yeah, we got two dogs. Oh wow! I just knew about uh, Ishi. There's yeah. Tim now. Tim the dog. Wait, you named a dog Tim? That's fantastic. He, he came with a name, but we didn't change it. And then I um, poached, I poached some asparagus and covered it in spicy oil, fish sauce, mint, Thai basil, and served it at room temperature with some grilled sausages. And now no. it's time for an afternoon cocktail. 
fantastic. And and Cocktails that's what, are the best. And that's what we're here to do is have an Aperol Spritz. Hell yeah. One of the greatest time that you know the world is just kind of waking up to. Well, I shouldn't say the world, just the, the Western world in America. Well, tell us the uh, t- like you know. I, I was thinking this is this is our opportunity to take back the Aperol Spritz. You know how they like okay. you can take back the night and you can take back Vermont. Well, we're gonna take yeah. we're taking back the Aperol Spritz today. Oh yeah, we are. We're gonna go like authentic from someone who knows how they're made in Europe. We're gonna you're gonna yep. you're gonna tell us when to drink them, why to drink them, how they. I think they shouldn't be too alcoholic, right? This is not. This is supposed to be an afternoon delight. This isn't supposed to be like a blackout punch. Yeah, but I feel like Aperol Spritzes are more of like a build-your-own-adventure cocktail, and you can make them as big or as little as you want. Okay, so you're okay with things being um, in the in the eye of the beholder. You're not a traditionalist when it yeah, comes like, to this cocktail. No, no, no. I mean, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist, as in I'm not going to mess with the recipe or anything, but at the end of the day, I think I still got like a triple poured in front of me, so... <laughs> Some of which my wife will probably be poaching as this goes on. Yeah, I'm making two. I'm making one for me and one for my wife. Um, Fantastic. So I've got um, I've got glasses. I've got ice. I've got yeah. Aperol. Gotcha. I've got Schweppes Club Soda, the original and still the best. Perfect. I've I've got a Perfect. a one eight seven champagne split of Blanc de Blanc from Andre Delorme. Um, Three ninety nine. And then I've got some uh, cut limes, some strawberries that I had hanging around. I do not have an orange. I'm, I'm not an orange That's and a okay. s- summer kind of guy. So walk me through it. Tell us, friendly bartender, walk us through crafting the perfect Aperol Spritz, in your opinion. Uh, okay, grab the biggest wine glass you have is always what I like to go with. Um, and then fill it like a third of the way with ice. Okay. And then – oh, I'll wait. I'll let you. I'll let you piece by piece it as we go. Well, we've talked about this before on previous episodes, where I I'm like the big cube guy. That uh, whoever invented the big ice cube is like in St. Barth's right now. Somehow they're like, why don't we just make big ice cube trays? So I'm, I've definitely gotten that as a you know cheap Christmas present. All right, I got. I'd say, I'd say I've got. Well, problem. You need like a half size of these. I've got big and little cubes, but you want this thing to be cold, right? It's for a hot day. Yeah, like, especially if it's, like, normally, you know, I should say historically in my life, we always drank them sitting outside in cafes in Rome when it's, like, 95 degrees out. It's that ridiculous kind of swamp-ish heat that uh, isn't isn't really humid. It's that weird dry humidity where you walk around and you sweat, and then it immediately evaporates off of you, so you're just sticky and uncomfortable. And, uh... Yeah, the purpose is to just kind of chill out and, and sit back and relax and drink a spritz. The point right. being, you should have enough ice where the ice is not completely melted by the time you're done with your drink. All right, perfect. We're iced up. Um, what's next? The Aperol? The Aperol is next. Now, I like to make mine, um, but you know, the traditional method would be anywhere between an ounce and two ounces of Aperol. Well, interestingly enough, while we were waiting for this to start, I did some costing of the ingredients alcohol-based costing mm-hmm. and so uh we can talk about exactly how expensive our cocktails are and each ounce of a- each ounce of aperol is 91 cents for the price i paid so yeah, that sounds about right so what do you think should i pay should i do i'm gonna it's an afternoon so i'm just gonna do an ounce and a half now aperol right, is 
Aperol is not as alcoholic as vodka, right? This is what are we looking? No, at? Aperol. What is the? Oh, eleven percent. Yeah, it's super low. All right, great. Twenty-two. Twenty-two proof. Yeah. Twenty-two. Like a bottle of wine, basically. All right, great. It's like a nice little light white. All right, so we've got um, we've got an ounce and a half of Aperol on the bottom of a of an an ice bath. Yep. Now what? And then you're gonna double you're gonna double that amount for the amount of um, prosecco or champagne or cava or whatever sparkling white you're using. But it should I mean most most often it should be in a two to one ratio. So two parts prosecco, one part Aperol. So whatever level you go for, you know, make it work like that. All right. Well, I got six ounces in this bottle, and I just did an ounce and a half. So I need to basically split this three ounces each, and it'll be perfect. Yep. There you go. So you should just are you side by side uh, making two of yeah. your wife? Yeah. 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 There you go. So you're gonna split the bottle perfectly. You're gonna do the whole. So you can just level it, and you can kind of eye it up, because that's like what I always find the hardest for people is to actually pour the right amount of booze or wine or whatever, and that's just practice. And that's perfect too, because I finished the bottle. We no one wants a a quarter of a of a tiny split of champagne to warm on their counter for the rest of the afternoon. Okay, and then now it's club soda time, right? Yep. And that's kind of as as you see. So I would say like start with an ounce and a half, maybe, and then kind of go for taste after that. Um, it it all depends on how strong or weak. Aperol is a lot less. Um, offensive and offensive is not the right word it's a lot less bitter than campari and and campari you know they say like aperol is like the sweeter younger cousin of campari but you know those dishes you're hearing in the background those are my ice cubes knocking around in my like oh excellent so well it's it's so it's ambient sound that's necessary also you sound great now so go go forth with go, go forth with confidence Okay, I did. I think I did three ounces of club soda. Um, okay. And um, now you I have like the brightest, most awesome orange color. Like that's that's the best way to describe it. Okay. Yeah, it's like so you're calling this orange. It's like orange blossom at the bottom almost. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's like my favorite drink. We used to sit outside our friend's apartment. There was a cafe across the street, and you know, drink two or three of these in a go each. And just sit around, and people watch, and buy around, buy around, buy around, and the next thing you know, it's time to go to dinner, and then it's awesome. Um, okay, so now I got a couple limes, and I have some strawberries. Should I squeeze yeah. the lime? So traditionally, you would use a, just a slice of orange. Okay. Um, and it's kind of just thrown in there. They don't even really, I mean, they kind of give it a little time to twist for the orange, but it's more one of those aesthetic how's it look sort of things versus it's absolutely necessary to make the drink perfect. So limes are good. Strawberries are good. Any sort of fruit, really. All right. Now I'm going to get crazy. I'm, gonna, I'm taking the photo now and stuff and then drop it in. Wait, sorry. What was that? Do what was the, uh, I saying, you really want to get crazy. You can do like the whole kind of sangria fruit thing and you cut up some fruit beforehand and, Soak it in some other type of alcohol and then drop it in your spritz and make your spritzer a little bit more più forte, as they say in Italian. Più forte. All right, let me deliver this to my wife and then we can get potting. One second. Good job, man. After all, marketing geniuses. All right, Giles, what are we cheersing to today, my friend? 
Oh, let's cheers to a lovely uh, upcoming summer full of good weather and uh, happiness and people not being dicks all over the world. Yeah, just take a load off, everyone. Be easy. It's nice to be here on Earth and enjoying all the things that w- we take for granted, right? Yeah, I mean, we're all traveling around the sun at like a thousand miles an hour on a rock. So, so, so have a cocktail. A cocktail. <laughs> or have two. Right. All right. Cheers to you, my friend. Can't wait to taste. Here we, here we go. Here I gotta make a sound. Oh, yum. Do you know what's great about Aperol, or an Aperol spritz, I should say, or just Aperol, the company itself, is that they kind of didn't really like come into to super stardom until they started their marketing campaign for for Aperol spritzes. And uh, the commercials they used to do, if you ever have a chance to find an old Aperol commercial, it's basically like, like if you like shoot the guns off, you know, and you like, you know, put your fingers in the air and go, pew, 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 pew. their whole thing was they took a glass and then they would have a guy point his finger down into the glass and do that whole thing. And that was the signal for an Aperol spritz. So when I was bartending in Italy, there was a lot of times you'd have guys come in and it'd be so loud that the bar shit would be going on and they would just like make a fake glass with their hand and shoot a, you know, a fake bullet into it. And you knew that that meant they wanted an Aperol spritz. And you knew what you like, that was a, that was a real thing. Yeah. It's like how many drinks out there have their own hand signal? You know what I mean? Like if you go into a bar in Italy, any sort of cafe or whatever, and you were to do that, I would get 95 times out of a hundred. The guy would smile at you and then immediately start making you an Aperol Smith or, or lady, whoever Aperol spritz, excuse me. It's a Smith. It's a, it's a Schmitz gay. How do you, what's the, Schmitz, yeah. what, what's the, do you remember the Schmitz gay Saturday Night Live ad? Um, where like Adam Sandler and Chris Farley were around a pool and they opened a couple of Schmitz gays and the pool like transformed into this like beautiful paradise of like hot gay guys. And at the end of the ad, <laughs> at the end of the ad, they looked at each other and they're like, it's going to be a great summer. So I feel like yeah. if we need to come up with a hand single for Schmitz gay and then we'll really have made something. Yeah, there you go. Well, this drink is delicious. I just want to talk about it for a couple seconds and then quickly go over sure. the, co- the cost. Um, what I like about it the most, and I think this is kind of one of the things I wanted to talk to you about it, I feel like this format of a cocktail, which is like liqueur, right? A- Aperol is a liqueur. Is that, a, is that the correct? Uh, Aperol is an aperitif. Okay. So, so it's I just, mean, that's yeah, what it is. It's an liqueur. It, let's not get all, you know, we, okay. we don't have to get all fancy on people. but So it's something to be drank before dinner. That's basically what aperitif means, right? Correct. Or, Okay, so and that that comes from the aperitivo, which is the drinks and, and kind of charcuterie and olives and all sorts of stuff that people do before they go out to dinner. So this format which of take also go ahead, sorry, sorry, I'm saying which is also why aperol spritzes are awesome because they're not super high quality or quantity alcohol, so you can drink two or three. They're refreshing, they're cold, they're delicious, and it doesn't um, it doesn't get you all messed up, which is walk to some place for dinner or drive or whatever it might be. But also, it's nice because if you're having like a dinner party or whatever, and it's still hot out, people get there, you know, five, six o'clock. You can start everyone out with this drink and and not have to worry about Uncle Jim drinking five, you know, gin and tonics and being wasted. It's totally true. Like that's such the Americanization of cocktails, which is how much can I get down? This is much more. Look, we all know we're addicted to the motion of putting liquid to lips and swallowing. That's why, mm-hmm. like. 
even a club soda at a bar is better than nothing. It's just part of the activity that you're there and your brain has taught you. So this, Correct. every sip you take, you're not like just digging a giant hole for yourself for the rest of the night and tomorrow. But yeah. what I will say I've found – and I mean you're, you're the insider. You're going to be able to tell me if this is true or not. I feel like Americans have taken this format of cocktail, which is the aperitivo with some sparkling wine – and they've basically just like souped it up. They've just been like, okay, we've heard of cheeseburgers. We're going to put bacon and, and onion rings and like mayonnaise and like a mm-hmm. deep, deep fried rat on top of it and sell it for 15 bucks or 40 bucks. This is like what Americans have done to this have been like, oh, well, we know we can put Campari or, or uh, Aperol in a glass with a little champagne and club soda. But why don't we make it all champagne, no club soda, and put like a shot of flavored vodka on top of it? Yep. And then all of a sudden it's like this thing which was supposed to be it's afternoon and it would f- be fun to relax a little bit, get a little tingle in my, in my feet as I sit in the park. Maybe be a little bit more friendly, charming to that girl that so-and-so brought to this picnic that I haven't talked to before and I'd love to get her number. But instead it's turned into like I'm going to be wasted day drunk and like pissing in the bushes in, in 45 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those longevity drinks. It's kind of like drinking white wine spritzers. And every once in a while, not every once in a while, I always enjoy a good white wine spritzer. And I'll go on a kick and people will be like, why are you drinking a white wine spritzer? And it's like, cause we started drinking and it's five o'clock and we're probably going to be drinking for 12 hours. So I might as well, you know, take it easy for the first six hours and then we can start doing shots and beers and real cocktails and heavy stuff. Yeah. Well, it's delicious. And I don't feel guilty drinking it at two in the afternoon on a Saturday. In fact, that's exactly oh, what it God, was no, it's meant to, designed it's meant for. To drink at two o'clock in the afternoon. Right. And I really like the club soda. I feel like, so you made this for Anna and I one of the first times we were at the hostel bar, and you, to- oh, yeah. you told us this story. How of- long ago was that, though? How long ago was that? Let's put that in perspective. Six years ago? All right. It was 2012-ish, 2011-ish. Yeah. Um, Holy cow. So, yeah, four or five years ago. Now, this was in yeah. the winter. This was not the summer. We were not outside. We were not people watching. We were making new friends in a cold dark Mm -hmm. vermont town where like 300 people live and 3,000 cows roam and yeah cultural wasteland um you you made it and that's not my quote i'll tell you that story later though and so um you made it for us and you did you told us about the spreet gun thing and it was kind of like a little ray of sunshine in the winter and although i'm like a seasonal addict who is can be very militant about when things should be consumed i do feel as if this is a great way to, I don't know, maybe cure a little bit of, of seasonal depression in, in a November. Sure. It's like a little, it's like a brightness, a little ray of summer that, that shines through during the dark and dreary winters of Vermont. All right. So um, I'm really obsessed right now with using my business education for like starting to price everything. It's just like fun for me now to figure out exactly how much everything costs. So let's just for talk. Sure. Let's just talk here. We did two ounces of Aperol. Or no, we did an ounce and a half of Aperol. So I figured out that the Aperol was 91. So it's like a buck 37, buck 36. It's, it's, uh, it's 136.50. So what should we say? 137. So we got a, sure. I got a calculator here. We're doing it. We're doing it right. I got a dollar 37 in Aperol. Or you could use your math skills and do it in your head. Yeah, but then what would I use this calculator for? 
And then we did uh, we did um, three full ounces of the Blanc de Blanc, which is delicious, and that's a dollar eighty nine. Another two dollars, yeah, dollar eighty nine. And then what do we do? Club- spent three ninety nine on the bottle. What about uh, yeah, three ninety nine divided by divided two. by two is two dollars. You're terrible at math. You have a calculator, and I did that in my head. Wow, this is embarrassing. That's funny, be. though. I wonder if they're screwing us someplace because. Google said that 187 milliliters was six ounces, and if you do three, mm, no, 187 milliliters is like just under seven. It's like six eighty-five. All right, well there you go. That's true. It's it's just two bucks. It's straight up two bucks. So we split the bottle, and then club soda. What do we do? Same amount of club soda, three ounces. Yep. So that's eighteen cents in club soda. So we got one thirty-seven plus eighteen. Plus two, we're at three fifty-five already, and then Ooh. I f- figured out I paid seventy-five cents for the lime, so it's nine cent. I did it in eight, so we add another nine cents for that. We'll call the strawberries on the house, as is the ice in the glass. We had those in inventory, so we're looking at th- just throw it to like three seventy-five. Three, yeah, three seventy-five, three sixty-five, three seventy-five. So this is why when you go to a bar in New York, this drink is thirteen dollars because. Not only do they need to triple the cost in order to pay their just general operating costs, they also have the rent. Which is standard procedure. Right. Then they just have to have the they have to pay their rent in some hip neighborhood. Um, so how much are you charging for this at the hostel? This and you would probably Eight get bucks. the how much? Eight bucks. Eight bucks. And do you think you got yep. the ingredients significantly cheaper because you're getting them wholesale? Um, I don't get the liquor at wholesale, but I get the wine at wholesale, and that's probably where I save my most. I think you got to raise prices. Well, I mean, there are certain things that I like to push on people, and I do so by lowering the prices in those areas. And then the things that everybody's obsessed with, I can, you know, put a little bit more markup on it, such as PBR or whatever else, and I like to balance it out that way. All right. Because you, you shouldn't you shouldn't prohibit people from experiencing new things based on pricing because you need to make a quick buck. You should try to figure out ways to balance it so you can make that quick buck in other areas and lose that buck sometimes in order to give people the experience that they should have. I like it. That's like you just explained like weighted like weighted average that you do in your head. Mm-hmm. Like you do a mm-hmm. emotional weighted average in your head. It's, for sure. It's awesome. All right, well Giles, you've you've moved to Montreal for uh for a few weeks, a few months, something like that. You've they- You've eight es- weeks, yeah. You've escaped the United States for eight weeks. I would say Montreal is the closest European city to where I stand right now in Watertown, Massachusetts. Beautiful city. Yeah, are you guys going to come visit? Yeah, we can come visit. Um, I have yeah, a. We got an extra bedroom. I got a couple. Now, are you extending that to all of the podcast listeners? Um, no, I'm ex- just extending it to you and Anna. I don't. I don't think I can handle all the podcast listeners call, calling me and asking if they can come spend time in Montreal. But, but that, you never know. Shoot me an email. That would and, be. Uh, a, we'll see what happens. That would be a good podcast topic if they all came. Um, that would be hysterical. So tell us, like, tell us how, tell us why, tell us when, and tell us what it's like. Oh uh, wow! We got here. Um, we'll be here till the 25th of July. And uh, we're just here to relax and hang out, eat good food, meet nice people, get a little culture, do, do some work, get some things sorted out in our lives for the future, and uh, generally just 
kind of hang around and have each day be its own thing, not have a whole lot of schedule going on, and uh, see what see what life brings us at this point. All right, so there's millions of people listening right now that are like, okay, so either they have a trust fund or they like are uh, somehow collecting welfare from the from the French Canadian government or they are no. they are anarchists. Like, so how are you doing this? Because you are you are two people who are successfully going to places you want to be in Europe. Uh, can't f- yeah, we'll, you're, you're, we'll be there for all of August. European Canada. Um, or living in a beautiful place in Vermont, like h- how did you make the psychological shift? Like, give us a little knowledge here, because there's a lot of people who are not doing that. Uh, we don't work jobs that only give us two weeks of vacation a year, and the job that we kind of, well, I guess the hostel has created its own sort of um, universe that uh, keeps us super, super busy in the winters, where we don't really have any time off. Um. We basically work more or less, you know, seven days a week from the beginning, basically Thanksgiving through, I don't know, the middle of April. Um, and when you're working all the time and you live in the middle of nowhere, we don't really have time to spend money on anything. And not only that, we don't have time to travel or do anything such as, you know, the weekend trips that people take to go skiing or to go down to the islands or do whatever. Um, so we save basically everything we make all winter and then we take all of our vacation time at once. So if you think about it, like everybody out there who works a normal corporate job, who works, let's say, 48 or 50 weeks a year, you still get Saturday and Sunday off every week. So you're still getting 104 days a year of what no, most people won't consider vacation because it's just a weekend. Huh. Um, but Never. we go, we don't get any of that, especially with the bar. So we have, you know, we're open on the weekends, which is obviously when we make our money. Um, we're busy during the midweek, you know, getting the hostel ready again for every weekend that comes along. And, and so we've kind of figured out that if we can do all of the hard work in like one fail swoop, is that how they say it? Yeah. Fell um, swoop. Then, fails then, or a, then hopefully not take, a fail swoop, but yeah, keep going. Is it a fell or fail swoop? I don't know. <laughs> hopefully not is fail. It fell swoop? Fell swoop. Not fail. It's, we're definitely not failing at life right now. <laughs> um, and um, then we take all of our time in one big chunk, basically. So we'll be off. This year, we decided to stay open a little bit longer, and we have now, you know, basically made it so we're going to be closed till the first week of September, which is fantastic. And we have a nice, the bar is closed, sorry. We have a nice, lovely couple, uh, Mike and Kim, who are watching the hostel for us this summer and taking in guests, and it's giving them an opportunity to figure out if they want to move to Vermont because it's something they've been thinking about. And um, it's just been a really kind of, uh, a life decision that if we're going to work as hard as we do in the winter, then we're going to play even harder in the summer. And um, especially with our two-year-old and the kind of him being cooped up in the, in the hostel and all that kind of lifestyle during the winter, we've really, really decided that it's necessary to get him out and um, well, him and ourselves and, and get some culture and, and experiences and meet new people and see new things and try new stuff. And so we've been really lucky to do that. And the other part of it is like, we don't own any toys. Like we don't have a four wheeler or a motorcycle or a snowmobile or any of the sort of stuff that, that my friends have, or I should say my friends where we live now, or we don't, you know, my wife and I don't buy $1,500 season passes to Sugarbush every year. We don't buy new skis every season. And then along top of all those things, you got to find, you know, you have to have insurance for all those vehicles or things you have, and you got to find places to store them. And all these other people during the winter are taking winter skiing trips out West. And so everything costs money. So if you can figure out a way, to you know not be burdened by those things i'll trade 
all of that shit for plane tickets any day of the week. And then when, once you get to wherever you're going, we've found that if, if you are somewhat frugal about how you spend your money and, and the experiences that you have, it basically costs the same for us to live in the middle of Vermont in the middle of nowhere as it does for us to live up here. So like, and that's, I mean, it, did you guys, when you just you, don't go nuts every night. You just don't treat it like a party all the time when you're on vacation and you're like, Oh my God, we got to go to the bar and, and drop $200 on shots and beers and all sorts of shit. You just kind of take your time, enjoy life and, and not, uh, not go so much. And when we're working in the winter, the business is paying for all of our stuff and, and that makes it easier. And, I don't know. We just take all of our vacation at once, and that's uh, that's how we've kind of created our lifestyle. There's that amazing feeling of going to the movies when you're on vacation. Like if you're are in Europe for even if it's ten days, and then one night you just go to the movies, and it's like you've decided you're just gonna relent of like be doing the best, coolest tourist thing you can, and you're just gonna like act normal like someone who lived there would. It has this amazing like warm feeling of like truly experiencing a vacation on a new level and i i think that that's kind of a tiny little slice of exactly what you're talking about like let's go get a good oh for sure get a get a good loaf of bread get some good cheese get get some aperol and some club soda and and uh go to the park and like yeah just be like you know uh completely and for 15 dollars you can have a well i mean you got to buy a bottle of aperol but so they for thirty dollars, you can have just as much fun as you would if you were to go out and, and spend a whole evening at a restaurant, and then go out for drinks after, and then a you know a club scene later than that. Like, it's all it's all about how you kind of frame it for yourself, and if you can do so in a way that doesn't cost you a shitload of money, it's not that hard to do what we're doing. I love it these. Really isn't. I love <laughs> I love these people you're describing, like who have four wheelers and then go to the club scene and who spend hundreds of dollars on shots. Like who are these people? I know none of people like trust that. Fund, trust fund kids that I know from where we live. And, and it's not, I don't want to say it like that, but it's definitely people who spend a ton of money on stuff and don't think about like how they could use that money elsewhere or for other things. Like, you know, they talk about like your possessions start owning you versus you owning your possessions. And when you have all these things, you have to, you know, take care of them and maintain them. And all that shit costs money. And we just choose to not be burdened with those things. So when did you guys, what's that banging? Oh, Sarah was making a drink for herself. Sorry. I'm I'm trying to be funny. uh, uh, It's like she's your press agent in the back, making sure you don't say anything about Jews. Um, (laughs) So, um, so... The uh, okay, so did you guys know you guys met in you met in Italy, right? I know we've gone over Correct. this, but let's okay. So you met in Italy. Did you mm-hmm. at what point in your relationship? Because one of the things you're talking about is like, let's say there's a relationship that's going really well. One of the people would love to do what you're doing. One of the people will be like, you know what? I can make all this money in six months doing whatever. Like you're doing a seasonal job. You could be a fisherman in Alaska and make three hundred grand a year. Like there's a lot of ways to do this, right? And then, and then you have all the rest of the year to not do anything. Or I have a friend who's a helicopter ski pilot and a mountain guide in Alaska. Or people are, you know, how about professors? They don't work 12 months a year. So there's ways to do you know, this. Teachers. Think about teachers. teachers. Right. don't work 12 months a year. But I mean, they do. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not trying to bash the teaching profession. But, like, we talk to people around here and we're like, oh, we took the summer off. We came up here. And they're like, oh, what school do you work at? And we're like, well, we don't. And they're like, well, how can you possibly do that? Like, for example, when we crossed the border to come in here. We sat for an hour and a half waiting for Officer Halal to get over his power trip and stop fucking with us. Like, he took my license, 
said, yeah, I'll be right back. And then he came back and was like, so where are you opening a restaurant in Montreal? And we're like, what, what are you talking about, man? And he's like, well, you, how were you taking an eight-week vacation? And I was like, well, first of all, that's none of your business. And second of all, I, I don't have to explain where or how I'm able to do the things I do. Like, this is, this is our life. This is what we're doing. We have got 180 days to come into Canada. I mean, that's a reciprocal visa program that our countries have. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You can only be in Canada as long as we tell you. So when does your apartment lease end? And we're like, July 25th. So then we had to wait another half hour for him to print out these visa documents, to which the last time I came through the border and I came through, the other border guard was like, why do you have this? And I was like, I don't know. Your guy said we had to have it. And she's like, yeah, sorry about that. That's ridiculous. This is the same, you know, working for the same government agency in Canada. And uh, it's just kind of one of those funny, he, he actually like took my license and then Facebooked me and then was like, well, why isn't the hostel open this summer? And we're like, it is. We have people staying there eating guests. Well, you're not running your restaurant. You ran it last summer. And we're like, actually, we didn't. But now where are you getting this information from? Jeez. Because clearly you... This guy's doing his homework. Oh, yeah. It was ridiculous, man. Oh, yeah. And he said, eight weeks is a long time to take a vacation. And I was like, okay. Sorry you don't get eight weeks of vacation, bro. But that's not my problem, nor is it your, you know, your, any of your business what or how I spend my time up here. Not to mention you live in the, outside of a potato farm in Iberville, Quebec, which we all know is a complete piece of shit. Um, so Iberville is like one of the scariest wastelands of uh, of of, land, of like highway I've ever seen in my entire life. My wife likes to say, if you picture the movie Beetlejuice with the house in the middle of the field and then nothing else around it, that's Iberville. Yes. So because it's a cross between that and Napoleon Dynamite. So, yeah, it's true. So when we would go to Iberville in, in like, high school or, the like, senior year of high school, we would go to Montreal to go to strip clubs and drink from New Hampshire. Because you can do that when you're 18, everyone. When you're 18, they don't care up here. And so we would drive in, like, two cars to the border or packed full of kids and get over, and it was easy. And then there's this gas station in Iberville. It's probably, I don't know, 20 minutes, like, when you make a big left in the turn. And... Um, we would all just go in, and everyone would get um, 750 milliliter cans of Molson, and the driver, yeah. the driver could only get a 500 milliliter can because, of course, he was driving. Correct. And then you would just drink that can of beer as you rode into Montreal, and it was like the perfect amount of buzz to get you to like whatever weird comfort inn you were staying at and crashing at that you were all like 11 of you were going to yep. sleep in. Um, but we shouldn't go down that rabbit rabbit hole right now. I mean, we can go, go, but go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no, we were just talking to somebody about that the other day and they were like, you, well, we just used to drop ecstasy 30 minutes before the border. And then by the time we got through, we'd be all fucked up. (laughs) It's just such a, it's such a fun thing to go to Canada. I feel like it's something that Americans are not taking for granted. I, I mean, obviously people go to Mexico but Canada's got a lot going for it. So um, let me before Canada does have a lot going for it. Let's talk about that. But before we get into that, I just want to quickly go back to what I was trying to ask you, which is when do you think you and Sarah realized that you both had like the same program in terms of this vacation work schedule? Or did one of you have to convince the other one? Or was it like do you think that subconsciously it was one of the reasons you decided to like partner up that this is a way you could run your program with someone who is down? Because I think there are people out there who one of them might want to buy a bed and breakfast and do this and the other one is like no way that's not how I'm going to live my life. Working for the man getting two weeks of vacation and being miserable like pretty much all of my friends from back home who do that um, then do that. But if you 
I think we both just decided it very on in our relationship um, that we did not want to work corporate jobs. We did not want to be in positions where we weren't able to make decisions that we wanted to make because we had obligations or contractual obligations or something with the company. Um, it was one of the reasons why when I graduated from school in Rome and um, one of my professors who was a former ambassador to like three different countries for the United States, he was Henry Kissinger's right-hand man, asked me when I was going to take the State Department exam and I told him I wasn't and he kind of got upset with me because he's like, no, 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 it's people like you who we need in, in government program because you have a realistic view of the world, not some I'm just trying to make money and get higher up and therefore someday be an ambassador somewhere. It's more of like a, you want to make the world a better place because you've been around and you've seen seen a section of the world, which was Europe at this point. And so we just both kind of agreed that it wasn't something we were ever interested in. Um, I've, you know, other than when I graduated from Wisconsin, Milwaukee, I've never applied to a corporate job. I've never tried to get a corporate job. Um, it just was nothing we ever ever considered doing we just thought you know hell if if we can make it work on our own and figure out a way to make enough money to get by and live then we'll do it and then you know when i finally met sarah's parents and saw what they had done which is kind of just run their own businesses and and be kind of self-sufficient in how they live their lives and they ran a, a restaurant at a golf course for like 15 years and it was just a level of happiness to not um sorry about the ding um not uh be can you still hear me you're doing great yeah and you sound great okay. and, and I'm, just, I, I'm listening I'm, no, I'm, i just turned off the ding thing i i'm you want uh, wait i just let me let me let me interject because it's like i just want to say this one thing it's funny i sit here listening to this kind of stuff and you're saying things that are so often in my head and i always have this struggle like do you think it in one way it it, it makes me think like everyone thinks this way but this has got to be something that is just completely foreign to a lot of people. Like a lot of people just don't have this in their mind. And I wonder, I don't know. It's just an interesting thing about people. I mean, to go, I mean, obviously to, to kind of put yourself out there and, you know, when we opened the hostel, we were collectively like 50 years old between the two of us. Um, and to do that and just kind of put yourself out there and go for it. Like that takes, it takes a little bit of nuts and cojones and, and kind of guts to just go for it. But at the same point, like, in the end, what's the worst that happens? You fail and you move on to something else. Like if your family loves you, you have supportive friends and you have a supportive partner, who gives a fuck? Like life is all about failure. Like if you don't fail in life, then you don't learn anything and you don't figure out how to be better at stuff. And you don't figure out how to like make things the way you want them to be. And you just kind of settle. And we were never interested in settling. And I was never interested in being told by somebody when and when I, when I could and could not go on vacation or when I could not could not take care of my kid. And it was kind of like when we closed our restaurant after, you know, five and a half years of killing it and getting written up in the Daily Beast as one of the top 10, you know, hostile restaurants in the world. And we were just like, you know what? We had a kid. We looked at the amount of time we were putting into running that restaurant. And if we had kept the restaurant open, I would have seen my kid for an hour a day during the winter. That's it. And I was like, fuck that. I'm taking care of my kid because I want to be an active part of his life. And I want to be an active influence over how he sees the world and the experiences that he has. And it just takes you as a human being being like, listen, I either want to do these things or I don't want to do these things. And if you want to do them, then go out and do them. There's, no, there's nothing that should be holding you back from making yourself a better person or, you know, pursuing dreams and goals and whatever, because it has to start somewhere. And has it been like, you know, a piece of cake the whole time? 
no fucking way. We've gone through so many trials and tribulations and, oh my God, are we going to make the mortgage this month? And, oh my God, how are we going to pay for that? Or how are we going to, you know, make it through to next winter? But in the end, if you really want it, you'll do it. And it's just, it's just a matter of recognizing that we're all, almost everybody I've ever met in my entire life is a completely capable human who, if they actually put their mind to it and their heart into it, they probably succeed at anything they wanted to do. But most people, I shouldn't say most people, a lot of people I feel are just too afraid to take that kind of leap of faith, for lack of a better term. And therefore, they just get stuck into this status quo situation where all of a sudden they've got a BMW they can't afford and a house they can't afford. So they got to work their ass off and then work the overtime and do all the shit to have a bunch of things that they don't actually need in the end of the day. See, this is the power of alcohol, folks. Just a little bit of alcohol, though. Not too much because it really just it greased the wheels in Giles' brain. It really got his his thoughts together in a really cognitively organized and well well uh, positioned place, and he you know just delivered it home. There you go, slam in your face, corporate America. I just dunked. I just fucking uh, <laughs> nut washed all of corporate America. All right, so um, give give us the the French Canada report, Giles. We want to hear about it because I, I want you to say, and I'll give you a little breathing room here because I know you just talked for a lot, but I have spent a lot of stupid teenage time in Montreal for sure, and that's worthy of another podcast. But one of the things I did recently was actually go to northern Quebec to a fjord up there um, and the Saguenay Peninsula. Wait, ex- explain what a fjord is, a f- please. <laughs> People don't know what a fjord is. A fj- I would assume most people don't know what a fjord is. I mean, I think a f- it's not in the English language. I think a fjord technically is just a uh, body of water that's been created by a glacier. It's usually long and skinny, and it's almost like a giant, oversized river um, with land on either side that is connected to the open ocean at the end. And in this case, the one in Quebec is 800 feet deep. It's the like. It's one of the only fjords in North America, and beluga whales are uh, breeding up there, and there's like a huge salmon fishery up there, and it T-bones into the St. Lawrence, which is the huge river that flows through Montreal and was a you know, major tra- transportation and energy. And then down into Lake Champlain, and then down and through the Hudson Valley, right. and all- New York City, and that's why their water is so delicious, because it's all coming off of that huge you know, aquifer. And so... Um, I just know that not only is Montreal beautiful, but Quebec itself is an incredible place and a place that I think is... Once you get through Iberville, yeah. Yeah, well, right. I mean, you know, Quebec City and surrounding and up. But just, you know, give us the report. Tell, tell us what it's like to be there and highs and lows. What do you miss? What do you love? Like, what's going on up there? Um, there's a shitload going on. So we just got... Uh... There's the mural fest. So there's a graffiti art fest on St. Laurent. That's where we were just walking through today. Um, saw a ton of people making massive, massive murals. And by massive, I mean like three, four stories tall, three, four stories wide. Um, art installations that will be up permanently. They have graffiti artists from all over the world. We saw guys from Italy, Spain, Canada, France, Argentina, Chile, like all over the world today doing live art things. Um, I'll send you some photos. I took a shitload of photos. Um, there's jazz fest starting next week. There's comedy fest starting in two weeks, which is called the Laugh Fest. Um, the summer around here is just crazy, man. Euro Cup is going on right now. In this really awesome kind of section of town where we're between the Portuguese neighborhood and the Hasidic Jew neighborhood and the Little Italy. And so 
you know, there's Euro Cup games going on all the time. All of a sudden, somebody will score and the whole neighborhood will erupt in cheers and, and awesomeness. Like, especially yesterday morning when Italy was playing, it was really awesome. And it's just a, I don't know. I was talking with a guy down in Vermont back for our condo association meeting, which was a complete waste of my time. And um, we were sitting outside having a coffee. And this is a guy who has one of the largest private collections of art in New York City that he loans out to museums. Super cultured dude. Um, a, you know, one of my favorite people in the world because he tells it how it is and he doesn't sugarcoat anything. And I said, what are you doing here for the summer? I haven't seen you in a while. And he's like, ah, you know, my mom wanted to come up. So we're just hanging out for you know, a couple months and we're going to enjoy it and whatever. And he's like, but I hate this cultural wasteland. And what he meant by that was he looked around and there was this group of, you know, young ladies, girls, probably 12 to 14. And then a group of their moms sitting, drinking cocktails. And then a group of their, those moms all sitting, drinking cocktails as well. So there's like three generations of three generations, well, three groups of three generations. And it was like, she's going to become her who's already her. And it was all white, waspy, you know, what we live in, in Vermont, which is 95% white. And it's not very cultural and there's not a whole lot of diversity. And he was right. It's just a cultural wasteland. Like, you're not going to get any diversification in your life or different languages being spoken or different religions or different kind of thoughts of or points of view or ways of thinking when you live amongst all the same people. And so what we have here in Montreal is an unbelievably diverse group of people. Like in the last three hours, I walked by probably four or five or six different religion groups, like religious groups, whether it be Hasidic Jews or Sikhs or Muslims or Christians or Orthodox Christians or atheists or agnostics, like just that alone, plus languages. Like we just walked through Little Italy, through Little Portugal. Um, We were down towards like a Spanish neighborhood in town. Um, then you have the Quebecois who are speaking French Canadian. Um, and then you've got the non French Canadian speakers around here. Like we probably heard seven different languages within the hour and a half. We walked up and down center around with our son and took a bunch of pictures, saw a bunch of cool stuff, great food all over the place. Like it's just, in my opinion, Montreal is the greatest city in North America because it has everything. Diversity. It has tolerance, like everybody around here is happy and smiling and just kind of having a good time. Like I was thinking back to the, the email conversation we were having when we were uh, talking about what Montreal was like. And you said, hey, is there a festive, quote, is there a festive Montreal spirit that could inspire us? And I said, you mean like people smiling and just generally being cool humans? Then yes. I mean, that's, that's the type of place this is. Like last night, I had a, a haircut appointment at eight o'clock and the guy who was cutting my hair got caught up making like some pretty badass vanilla ice line designs in these two young kids heads. And he was like, listen, the mom is paying me to do this. Like, is it okay if I did it? I'm like, dude, do your thing, man. And I watched it and I'm sitting there going head right now. My wife wouldn't think I was crazy, <laughs> but I ended up being at this barbershop for almost two hours. I brought in some vocal bangers and some heady toppers. We're drinking beers with the guys. We're talking Euro cup. We're talking about life in Montreal, coming to find out that the guy who owns the barbershop uh, is a huge snowboarder, and he was super stoked to find out that we owned a hostel at Sugarbush, and he's like, oh, man, we always go to J.P. because we know people there, but he's like, if we know somebody at Sugarbush, we've always wanted to go, and I was like, come, come down, hang out, but you're just, like, making connections, and I feel like I made a couple friends last night. Uh, the barbershop is called Queen of the World, by the way. It's on St. Laurent in Little Italy. 
6908, a fantastic place. We were drinking scotch. I mean, it was drinking scotch. It was awesome. It was just like a breath of fresh air from going to, you know, some of the places I go to in Burlington, Vermont, that are like, what would you like to do? How do you want your hair today? And I'm like, yo, you're a professional. You tell me what would look good on my head because I'll tell you what you should drink if you ask me. If I want to ask you how my hair should look and you can't tell me because you're too afraid of, you know, maybe messing it up or upsetting somebody, then I don't know, maybe you shouldn't be cutting hair. Does that make any sense? Like it's just, Oh, just oh so I mean, yeah, let's, on. let's go, let's go on that tangent, please. Let me, let me just have the floor here on the haircutting thing. Go ahead. I just, I just never know what to say. You sit down here. Here's how it goes for me. I got to get a haircut. Okay. Two weeks later, I still haven't gotten one. Okay. I go in, I need a haircut. I look like, you know, you finally catch yourself in the mirror at a bathroom in like a, in an important lunch you're having or a meeting or you're meeting with people, colleagues or whatever. You're out to dinner with your wife and you're just like, this looks terrible. And you're like, I got to get a haircut. So you go get a haircut and you sit down. And the first thing I think when I look at myself is, oh, shit, I don't want to cut my hair. That's the first thing I always think. I always think, oh, this looks pretty good right now. Like I should just leave it. So then it's like, OK, major disappointment. And then, wow, I just got an electronic message with a picture of your haircut. Wow, you're going... Proper fade, dude. I mean, it's a little, it's a little vanilla icy, but... So then, really so then you sit like there... No lines or anything, but... And then they say, what are we going to do today? And then you start th- saying things, and everything that comes out of your mouth really... It's not descriptive. It, it's like, oh, well, I want to... You know, I'm going to get a short haircut, okay? Like, short compared to what? And then it's like, you know, well, short mm-hmm. short on the sides and leave a little bit on top, okay? Well, how long on top? And then, you know, they start asking you, well, is it like like an inch? Well, I don't know. what What's an inch of hair? I, have no, I mean, I know what an inch on a ruler is, but I don't know what an inch of hair looks like. And then I do the same thing. I always end up saying, well, what do you think would look good? And then, you know, it depends on who's – like if like I got my hair cut by a Lebanese guy and I walked out like I was in – you know, Lebanon in 1989, he had like gelled it and slicked it back. And I was never going to be able to figure out how to like part it with a with a comb the way he had. But it looked cool for well, right you'll then. You'll never be able to do it yourself. Right. But it's like this is the thing. It's like, you know what? You cut hair for a living. You see what I what I look like now. Make me look good. That's why I'm here. I want to walk out of here confident, feeling like I look skinnier without losing weight. Feeling like the 17 bucks plus tip I'm going to give you was worth it and wasn't something my wife could have done at home with, like, my beard trimmer and a pair of, like, How much tip? What? Fisker scissors. What do you mean, how much how many, tip? How much tip are you giving people? Like, three bucks. Oh, okay. I thought you said 17 bucks. I was like, Jesus Christ. No, like, my haircuts are 17 bucks. No, my haircuts are 17 bucks. Oh. Um, I mean, I paid 35 Canadian last night, which is, like, 28 American. And this guy, dude, the fade, he did probably took 35 minutes. It was hysterical. And I've never gotten a proper fade. Uh, and he used to work at a black barbershop. His you know, English wasn't the best, but it was perfectly fine for us to communicate. It was awesome. I don't know. It was just a great experience all around. And it's hair. It's going to grow back in three weeks. So what the fuck? I just I never know what to say. What what are we doing today? And or you could say regular, regular short. What is regular? What's a regular haircut in this geolocation that I'm sitting right now? It could be completely different than the regular Correct. haircut. It's like we need some. So I mean that's why I guess places like Sport Clips are around. They probably show you a picture, and I I in no way endorse their existence. Um, Supercuts. All right. All right. Well, Giles, we only have a a, a handful of minutes left because we're going to keep it tight. 
So um, where do we want to go? Do we want to argue? Do we want to agree? Do we want to, um, you know, go politics, go sports? I mean, really, you know, we've, we're at the bar. You've served us a delicious drink. We've drank yeah. it. Some of us may have snuck a second concoction while, while the podcast was rolling. I'm about to go grab a Rattler, so. And, and now it's rolling. time to kind of, uh, you know, add a little bit of um, nonspecific content to the end of our show. Um, just well, I've really can I can I say that I've really been enjoying your uh, your conversations with Saul and especially your conversation with Quill. I listened to that one walking to and from the barbershop last night, and uh, you guys had a great conversation about how it's really hard for people in our generation to pick where they want to live, and I, it kind of struck a chord with me because it's something Sarah and I have been debating whether or not we can actually pull off this. We work and live in Vermont from you know basically November through April. And then we try to figure out how we can live and, uh, you know, do some side work and some other things from May through October. And every year we've gotten a little bit closer this year. We're taking the whole summer off, which is almost, you know, halfway of that six month portion. And I wanted to know what your thoughts were about trying to figure out how to like do timeshare things with friends or maybe buy apartments around the world or how, how like, how we can make it possible that like we all live separate lives in a sense, but the same life just in different locations over the course of each year. Great question. Cause you know, the, the let's all buy a house in the South of Spain while the market is down conversation has definitely happened between my friends and I, um, I think more serious, oh, yeah, for sure. more seriously with them because they have steady jobs and incomes. But, um, I, here's my, they'd never be able to use it. Here's my point of view on that. I think the model that's better is to have a bunch of friends that live different places with their own house. Because I can think, I can just dream up without getting specific, let's say, two other couples in my life that I could buy a vacation home with if I had any money in some cool, exotic place. But then just thinking about, like, forget about the money thing. I think that part gets worked out. I think it's the decoration thing, the uh, gardening thing, the organization of the garage thing. It's like when you have a vacation house or you have a cabin or you, you, you somebody's going to want ownership of or, over how that unit improves year after year. Like that's part of the fun mm-hmm. of going back to a place. In addition to like getting to swim at that beach and go to your favorite little restaurant and take your bike ride and go to your ice cream shop and whatever, the plane ride there, the whole fun package that comes with a special place there's also the home improvement so to speak that goes along with it whether it's like let's build a patio let's improve the garden let's put grapevines in so we can have a trellis so we can have like a cool backdoor eating area and i think all Mm -hmm. this all of a sudden you have to get people's tastes together on the same page and i would much rather go visit my friend's vacation house for a week where we're invited every year and have it be completely their program and maybe make some snide comments on the ride home about how I thought that was ugly or this was badly done or I can't believe they spent this much money on that. But then know that when they're coming to my house, we're going to run my program and they can do the same thing. And then if the water heater explodes in the winter or the pipes break or whatever – and there has to be like a remodel of the downstairs bedroom. It doesn't become this thing where it's like two people who really are like the spouses of friends from when they were younger have to somehow get together and figure out how they're going to manage. But it's like some bullshit condominium association. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, it's got to be hard, right? Like the last thing you want 
And the other question I have, which I think is a, a fascinating one, is like, are we – so I, I – you know, I'll only speak for myself, but I feel like you and Sarah have a similar setup in terms of like the people that you're close with. You, you each – you both have as a couple, you have some people who are like – very, very close friends and have been so for a long time, whether that's from Italy mm-hmm. or they're from your youth and they've kind of become part of your unit like once a year or whatever. And yeah. I, I'm fascinated to know, like, if you look at our parents and who their friends are, sure, there are some people, but there are some people that were very close to them for a very long time and are not close to them anymore. And that's like a really sad thing. But I feel like at some time, these best friends we've had won't always be our best friends. I mean, does that ever worry you? Do you ever think about, like, how someone that you kind of put in this, like, mental list in your head as someone who's super important to you, you don't actually really talk to very often and lives very far away from you and has nothing in common with your life? Well, I mean, they have in common – well, I guess what they have in common with your life is they were a part of your – for a significant enough portion for you guys to consider yourselves either, you know, dear friends or close friends or best friends, whatever it might be. And I, like – you know, I think of all my friends back in Milwaukee and people I haven't seen in years, and I catch a little flack because they're like, what the fuck, dude? You go to Europe for vacation for two months and you can't come to Milwaukee for five days? But it's it's one of those, like, I know in my heart the true friends that I have and the people that, that love me and I love, you know, just as dearly that when we see each other and we do connect and reconnect, we just pick up where we leave off. Right. And and there's no there's no, like, awkward, oh, what have you been doing or – why didn't you come visit or whatever? It's just like, fuck it. We're together. Let's have a good time. Let's enjoy each other's company like we always did. And if we see each other again in five years or never, we're still going to know that we're, we're good friends and that we would do anything if, if, was, if it was necessary. It's, it's, it's such a rough situation because I know there's people out there who are like, fuck that dude. Like He just disappeared and I haven't seen him in 10 years. But then there's also people I know who I haven't seen in 10 years who are like, I would love to go visit Sarah and Giles in Vermont. I just haven't had the opportunity yet. Or I would love to go visit them in Europe and over there. I just haven't had the opportunity yet. And I don't think any less of any of these people on either end. It's more of a, you got to live your life for you, not for what your friends or your, your acquaintances or whatever you want to call them think about you and how you live your life. Because if you start doing that, that's when you get caught up in, in all this bullshit that doesn't do anything positive for you. you do, does that make any sense? Yeah, and definitely the part where I, you know, I'm not going to go into names, but I know of experiences either for me or friends where somebody sees somebody from our past and the entire time that the two of them are talking, one of them is making the other feel guilty about how they never hang out anymore. And it's like, we're here right now, motherfucker. Hang out with me right now. Like, here's your chance. Exactly. Because if the, for the next two and a half hours at this wedding, you're just telling me how we never hang out anymore, guess what I'm not going to do when the wedding's over? Call you to hang out. Because all yeah. you do is talk to me about how we never hang out. Like, just, no, just ahead, like, be, like be the change you want to see, you know? Like... Like, make me walk away from – not that, like, old friends need to, like, impress each other, but it's, like, make me ha- – I mean, in reality, you do. If you walk away from – you know, we don't have an obligation to hang out with people, although I think that no. there's a lot of social pressure that makes people feel that that is the case. And I think that that's definitely the case when you look at, like, my fucking idiot neighbors who are 43-year-old high school kids who continue to, like, take bong hits and drink Bud Light on their porch – 
four nights a week playing classic rock on their rate on their radio pointed at our house before you know because all they have to do the next day is go paint a house um and that like you can tell them like like they'll get in a huge screaming fight with each other after too many times of hanging out about how like so and so never does this or this or that and it's like they feel an obligation to do what they're doing to each other so if that's what you want if you want to make your friends feel like they're obligated to hang out with you you too can like rent a you know triplex in a shitty boston suburb and like go nowhere with your life so those are i don't know if that really all tied tied together but no it does but let me can i just like say yeah uh, anything you want to wrap it up so uh right now i'm wearing a buddy of mine's uh my buddy joey Wiz has this company called wisconsin i don't know if we've talked about it before it's an awesome t-shirt company that he started with a friend of his when we were in high school um, and it's now become, uh, among other things that he does. And he sent me a message via Facebook, which I know you hate. Um, but this, you know, for, for somebody who's kind of jet set and left a lot of people uh, and, and moved on to a lot of things and done new things like myself, he sent me a message like two weeks ago, not even a week ago, that was just, the gist of it was, hey, your name came up in conversation with one of our mutually best friends. And he said, we talked about some fun times and great memories. And he said, I just wanted you guys to know that we're thinking about you and your wife and your son. We love you guys. We miss you guys. And I just want you to keep up the good work. Like, thank you for doing what you do. And it was one of those messages that I got kind of late in the evening. And it was just like, God damn, like it was so refreshing to hear and so nice. And it made me feel so good about what I was doing. And like, it just kind of like reinvigorated a confidence within myself that like what I am doing is the right thing. And it is, what's best for me and my family. And in the end, your true friends will always be your true friends. And people who care about you and love you will always care about you and love you no matter what you do. So don't worry about what other people think. Do what you gotta do. And in the end, the people who actually matter and actually care about you are gonna be there no matter what, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what you decide to do for a living, no matter how many kids you decide to have or what bad decisions you decide to make, like those true friends will always be true friends. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Joey Wiz and Wisconsin because it was truly like a, a really awesome thing to get um, just to reinforce that what we're doing is the right thing. And that's also that piece of advice, not to be cynical at all, but what you just gave, that's like one of the all time. That's a, you know how people are always like, the, what's the Mount Rushmore of NBA players and stuff like that? Like, what are your top five all time, you know, rock and roll albums? That is a top five all time piece of advice that's easier to give than to do yourself. And I think for a mm-hmm. lot of people on the face of the earth, it's so much harder. I mean, I'm one of them. If, you know, how many times do my parents or family or best friends need to say, you can live anywhere you want, you can do anything you want to do, all we care about is you're happy. Before I actually act that way, it still is really hard for any person to make decisions about work, location, you know, big life decisions, where to live, um, how to live, um, how much to visit, how to do all these things without worrying how it's affecting other people. And I think because I give that advice that you just gave to the world, to people. But, you know, all that I feel like that and giving people advice about how they can uh, easily stop drinking so much alcohol. Those are like two, two of the pieces of advice that are so easy to give but so so hard to live so um it's a battle i mean it's a battle to do that you also made me think too 
you know, if like everyone had a, a session with like a life planner where they got to go into a room where there's a gigantic whiteboard and they got to list everything that was ha- would happen in their perfect life. So it's like, you know, they describe their house and they describe like their the car that they drive, but they also describe like, and I get to go biking three days, like cycling three days a week, and like I get to dive in the ocean on the weekends in the summer, and just describe like what it actually feels like. I get to go to a Caribbean restaurant down the street and see like a wide variety of different people from different cultures, like the the thing you were describing. Like you describe the environment that would be your most happy place to live. Well, one thing I'm discovering is like it takes a long time to get all that shit going at the same time, and you Fuck have to yeah, dude. and you have to start someplace. So with your your I, that Facebook message you talked about, one of the things that I've been meaning to do, and I I know I'm very close to doing, um, but I haven't done yet. But instead of beating myself up about it, I'll continue to just know that I will do it. It's just getting a stack of postcards, like. Boston postcards. Who cares? I live in Boston. Just cheesy Boston postcards. And when I have a fun time at somebody's house, seeing somebody, going over for a dinner party, when I go visit my parents and I have a fun time for a weekend, just popping a thank you card in the, in the mail. Like the mailman comes to my house six days a week and can pick the card up, buy a, buy a little book of postcard stamps, and write three lines of thank you note because that feeling you got from that note what a great feeling to send that note to somebody. What a great mm-hmm. feeling to like, you know, that whole that whole Christmas story of like it's always better to give than receive. It's true. Like the satisfaction you get from knowing that like so and so is going to get this postcard in 5 days that all the mail that they get, the real mail they get is complete bullshit. It's just like not even bills anymore. It's basically credit card applications and like circulars for disgusting commodity food. Mm-hmm. Um, you get like a weird Boston postcard with like the Fenway Park or the Minuteman on it. And like it's just something to be like, that's really nice. That was really nice of him to do. And so I don't know. We can all do little things like that. It's just nice to know that somebody's thinking about you. And not only are they thinking about you, but they're thinking about you with a level of positivity that makes you feel better about yourself. I feel like if we if this podcast was famous enough that there was another group of people doing a podcast about this podcast, you know how there's like Game of Thrones like TV shows about Game of Thrones? Yeah. That one of the major analytical points would be that because we drank Aperol, we were like loving and happy versus like if this had been a gin podcast, we'd be like in a huge argument about Donald Trump right now. Yar. You know what? Don't even say his name because he doesn't need any more press and fuck that dude. Yeah, I, I won't even start. All right, Thank well, um, I got to wind down. I'm going to jump on a bike. I'm going to a movie. Um, what are you guys going to see? We're going to go see two guys or the other guys or friendly guys, whatever one has Ryan Gosling and uh, Russell Crowe in it. Ooh, and hot. we're going to podcast about it because my wife's home for the weekend. The and annex. And uh, the annex. Uh, check out our review of The Lobster. Check out our review of Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Thanks for the plug on the Quill podcast. Um, no worries, always, it... always great to hear a female voice on Landline. And, um, yeah, dude. you know, I know we've got uh, we've got a wide variety of white people listening to this podcast, but we're going to need to get some color as well. So Don't we got... worry. I, I, think, I think it'll all happen. But um, if you guys want to follow what we're doing this summer um... – Ironically enough, both uh, on Instagram and Twitter, Giles A. Smith came up as free as uh, as available. So I picked them up in the last like three weeks. Um, it's just Giles A. Smith, G-I-L-E-S-A-S-M-I-T-H. Uh, I'm trying to see how long I can go on Twitter without any followers. It's kind of funny. Um, 
Saul, stop talking about your money problems and all that bullshit and start telling us more about how it is to date in a world where digital messaging is more important than one-on-one conversations. This is the beginning of the pod wars. And, um, yeah, dude, I, I enjoy this so much. I'm so happy we got to talk and um, got to, to just rap about life and all the good things that are going on. I wish you all the success this summer. I hope you and Anna have a great time, and I hope to uh, do this again with you soon. And I to you and your family and to Sarah and to your son and to, uh, I would say this is a June cocktail hour. Let's do a July cocktail hour. Let's, uh, Fantastic. let's get a, this is a great late spring, early summer drink, light, refreshing, delicious. I do not feel drunk after having one. Um, I feel like Aperol also is a great bottle to have in your liquor cabinet. Um, because... Yep. Somebody could come over, like someone's mom could randomly be over for some event that you didn't know was happening at your house, and you want her to like maybe be a little bit more relaxed, but not necessarily like guzzle a bunch of white wine and crash the car on the way out of the driveway. So just make her a little Aperol oh, yeah. and club soda. I mean, that's an easy. That's a poor man's spritz. Um, so drink well, have fun. Thank you for your time, you. Giles, and uh, we'll be in touch. Landline Podcast, check it out, talkforaliving.com, on SoundCloud, on iTunes. i got to get on Stitcher. Um, and, Giles, we got to talk, too. I, In true Landline forum, I think that um, if we're really – I know you're going to put this on Facebook, and I'm, I'm as the hypocrite I am, I'm glad about it because people will listen. But and I'm, Twitter and Instagram. We'll get it. Just let me know when it's going live. I'll blast it. And I'm thinking good. that we're going to start a weird, like, uh, old-fashioned marketing campaign with, like, flyers at coffee shops with little blurbs from the podcast and see if we can get a bunch of people listening, like, with... There's a lot of coffee shops up here. With pen and, and a paper. Lot of coffee shops in Vienna, where we'll be this summer in July and August, so... So if you're in Montreal, Giles has an open bedroom for you, um... He loves everybody, and no, I'm just kidding. He runs a hotel in the winter, not the summer. We, we do love everybody, though. So, all right. Well, there's um, no reason to be upset with anyone. Enjoy France, Canada, and uh, keep us updated, and we'll do the same. Fantastic, brother. Great to talk to you. Best to Anna. Enjoy your movie. Thanks. Bye.